So what do you guys want to talk about? Hmm. I don't know. You know, I gotta say, I'm really struggling here because, I mean, I, I was reading the New York Times on my Apple Watch this morning, and uh, I thought maybe we could talk about, you know, what's going on in Russia. Maybe we can talk about, you know, Syria because we haven't really addressed that at all. And I still just, nothing was really, nothing was really sticking. So yeah. I love my Apple Watch, by the way. Yeah. I, I got one too. Like, yeah. I like, I was, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I was buying some uh, uh, Louboutins for Martha using the, the Amazon app on here. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. This is the thing we're doing now, you know. Wow. It was good. It was really cool. It was awesome. awesome. It, was, it, was, it was good. We were thinking about getting some for, you know, the kids, too. Wow, cool. Well, you know, I was looking at getting Tesla. Mm. Yeah, because my car, just because, you know, global warming. And I just wanted to have something that would be eco-friendly. But they're so expensive. I think I have to, like, sell a kidney. Yeah. Yeah, Martha's considered that too. I'm trying to talk her out of it. I'm thinking, you know, she's more important than me, so I should probably do the kidney. But, you know, it's it's realistically it's the only way that we're going to be able to send the kids through, you know, private school. Especially infant school. I had no idea it was this expensive. Infant school. Yeah, it's this new thing. So we're putting Victoria in there and, you know, it's 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 great. I'm just I'm a little disappointed in her to be totally honest. I mean, she's 3 months old now and she's only holding her rattle at a 2 month level. And I'm just mm. thinking, come on, kid. I mean, hurry up. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about doing too, because I'm looking for a vacation. You know, you know how you can go like, you know, horseback riding? Now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a new thing, alpaca riding. I've heard of that. Yeah. You alpaca through the Sierra Mountains. It, even though it's not historically or geographically accurate, it's like the newest rage. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. I think I actually actually get, uh, get that set up on my watch, too. I'm pretty sure there's an app for that. You know, I actually have an idea for a topic. What? Let's Shoot. talk about what pretentious jerks you are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Eric Brickmont. I'm Sarah Ashley. And today, we have a special, special episode, don't we, guys? We do. All right, history of alpacas. (laughs) Guys, come on and wheel it back in. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, you're, oh. Oh, uh, I didn't mean to make a pun. I actually w- wanted to have our stagehands, because we actually totally have stagehands. They're alpacas, actually. Uh, yes, they <laughs> are. There's Fred and Ginger. Come part on in. The, Come part on. of the alpaca Fred union. Fred and Ginger. Fred and Ginger. Well done, sir. I appreciate the classic movie musical reference. Um, I think we were going to do another Wheel on History episode. We yes? are. We have the wheel back, and it's glorious. See, I haven't been in the presence of the wheel in a while. That's true. So you missed it when the wheel was here last time, uh-huh. um, and the wheel was uh, had found God and was glowing. It was really pretty remarkable, but uh, it looks like the wheel might be a little over that and has just kind of gone back to low I think he's gone back to basics. Tech and, yeah. okay, the it's wheel, probably best then that I'm back now. Yeah, if you guys don't can't afford a wheel in history, you know, we certainly think you should at least try rent one because they cost like $50,000, but they're kind of like really advanced viewfinders. You know how like <laughs> you had the little the little paper slips that you would slide out in and out yeah, of yeah. that to and you look, oh, one, you're in San Francisco, then you're in Tokyo. We have like these giant slabs of wheels of various <laughs> topics yes. that we just we have our alpacas mount on these uh, this you know yes our well, union, apparatus. Fair, I mean, our really union ginger. alpaca stagehands G- ginger is particularly adept at it it's it's more Fred who steadies yeah but I mean I, mean, I just want to give her her words I'm yeah, just sure. saying the fact they can do it without opposable thumbs is really impressive brilliant yeah, yeah. brilliant so, they so are, anyhow, are some well trained thank you Will for coming back we appreciate you. 
Um, so the, the slab we put on the wheel for today mm. is status symbols. Yes, Ooh. status symbols. Uh, we already listed off a bunch in the beginning of this episode <laughs> yes, for true. the open, uh, with the exception of the alpaca riding through the Sierras. That's random, but I liked it. <laughs> because it would, you know, if it were to exist, it oh, would immediately it would be become all like the rage. The, the, the word I want to use is not one we could put on the podcast because we're right. trying to censor it, but sure. it would be the, let's just pretend it's, it would be the jerkiest thing you could do. Yes. But by jerk, I mean another word that's less appropriate. Sure, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about status symbols. Brian, do you want to give it the first spin? Certainly. Oh boy, I wonder what it's going to be. Hmm. Clerical symbols. Oh, how appropriate. Oh. I thought we were over this phase. I, it's Brian. Oh, it's Brian, yes. Brian's projecting onto the wheel. <laughs> Project, projecting onto the wheel. Well, I mean, so yes, when you look at clerical symbols, you there is obviously, in Western culture, we immediately associate it with Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would, it would, it's a fair assessment that most of my examples that I can offer are from the Christian religion. However, it does. it is worth noting that a lot of the symbols, I should say a couple of the more important ones, derive from Judaism. Okay. Right? Uh, let's start with the Pope, because that seems to be the most... One, one, most one generally right? does on a topic right. like this. And, you just, you, and we'll just work our way down, right? What are the two biggest things that you always see the Pope wearing that tend to, you know, garner the most attention? Uh, Pope Mobile. Pope Mobile. Well, okay, that's... Number one. That's, that's a recent innovation that doesn't really have ancient roots, but okay. Pope hat. The Pope hat, the Pope otherwise hat. known as the miter. Yeah. Yes. And and his staff. And, of course, his crook, his shepherd, his crozier. Yes. So, two great examples right there. So, the, the miter actually dates back to the high priests um, in first century Palestine. You know? The idea uh, is, and I'm sure, Eric, you'll be able to, to make a parallel from ancient Egypt with this, uh-huh. too, is it is literally, you're bringing yourself closer to God. The higher your headdress the closer to the cosmos that you you were and uh the mitre has evolved into many different shapes and sizes uh over the years in the eastern orthodoxy it's probably more closely resembles the way it was in the first century um but they've had you know different heights different shapes right now it's more the pointed hat that we're used to seeing now which i believe was also used by the romans i could be mistaken i think the pontifex maximus may actually have worn that too um so, I mean, you have that, right? And, of course, you have the shepherd's crook. Shepherding was a major part of Christianity. We've talked about this before, the good shepherd, Jesus, when we talked about that in the history of the papacy. Um, I would say the big other – there are other things that we, we don't take into consideration. The zucchetto, the uh, the skull the cap. The skull cap, sure. That he gets wears, right? Worn. And, you know, that goes back – just about as long because there, there, there's ties to the yarmulke that you would wear. It's the same idea that you're covering your head uh, for humility purposes. Um, so obviously, if you're <clears throat> obviously if you're wealthy enough and uh, you you are high enough in, in terms of authority in your community, you're probably connected to the church at some point. At least sure. throughout a lot of of European history and, and Near Eastern history, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that this would be kind of considered a symbol of your status. Of course, yeah, and of course. I mean, the, we've said this before, but for those, because, you know, as Stanley says, every issue is someone's first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pope is the Bishop of Rome, yeah. right? That is pr- his primary function, other than being, leading the whole Catholic Church. But uh, 
because he is a bishop, of course, he wears a mitre, right? And so, yes, even though Pope Francis has done tremendous efforts to, uh, has pushed further from bre- recent efforts to humbleize the um, the papacy, you know, the papal mitres tend to look pretty nice. Like, they've got, you no, know, they're very decorative. They tend to be a couple centuries years old. Like, they have, they have monks who actually, uh, in the Vatican, who tend to the priestly vestments of the Pope, just because they've been around for hundreds of years. Which is kind of nuts. It is kind of nuts. And some of them actually have, like, gold lacing in them, back to the opulence period of the church and all that craziness. Um, I wonder what the, the Pope's tailor is like. Is that, is that a position? Is that a thing? Is that um, the Pope's tailor? So there is a there is a shop in Rome, I can't nem- remember the name of it off the top of my head, who does make the vestments for the Pope. And does the fact, Pope go there, or does he come to the Pope? So here's the funny thing. So like when the cardinals him? when the cardinals go into conclave to elect the next Pope, they're not sure who the Pope is going to be. So I'm not kidding. They make small, medium, and large size vestments, and they had them nice. laid out in this room. <laughs> and whomever the Pope is, just puts on the ones that fits the best, basically. How could that? That'd be pretty cool, though, to be like the Holy Roman seamstress. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of cool. The Holy Roman seamstress. <laughs> I think that's okay. I mean, I love sure. It. I love it. Um, Prada, by the way, made the red shoes. For the I Pope. know that. That's right, yeah. I heard up that. Into, uh, up until Francis, because he's the first Pope to say, no red shoes. That's right. My black ones are fine. Um, I mean, I mean, so those are the two most obvious ones. But even going down to the cardinals, who are also just bishops in the church, you have the Galero, which is the the wide-brimmed hat that up until the Second Vatican Council, every cardinal wore. In fact, when you were made a cardinal, the hat was placed on your head. And it's these, for those of you who don't know, it looks like a wide-brimmed gardening hat that's just made out of really nice material, but it's got these tassels on it. And in the church, the more tassels you've got, the higher your rank is. Um, yeah. It starts all the way down with with um, with priests. Like, when you, when you got ordained in the Middle Ages, and even as a priest, you know, you were given a coat of arms. Um, and the coat of arms almost always started with the Galero at the top, and then you would have, you know, the name of your family, and then you'd have whatever, some Latin phrase relating to Christ or to God. So uh, the priestly Galeros are just one single tassel, uh, and they're always black for that reason. And then as you work your way up the ecclesiastic chain, uh, as you get to bishop, um, it can be violet, but more often not, the coat of arms are green for the Galero. And color has been a... Sure. A, a subject of status for a long time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And violet has been a regal color for years. So mm-hmm. when you became a bishop, you were essentially a lord in the feudal system, right? Um, in fact, that's why there was all these wars. There's conflicts between the monarchies and the church because effectively the church was setting up its own governmenting system, right? And to, up to the point where when you were an archbishop, your archdiocese was also called a province. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, it goes up that level. And... Um, you know, it just, I mean, you look at every part of the clerics and everything they wear is a symbol. The cassock goes back to, <laughs> yeah, you know, pretty much back to the history of the church, back down to the very beginning. The, each button resembles the 33 years that Christ uh, walked the earth. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what we're really talking about is clothing styles. Correct. Right? I mean, we're talking about, obviously, within the context of the church yeah. and, and how that changes depending on your role in the church and that, that denotes your, your status, right? Yeah, yeah. Because status symbols aren't always, you know, vain and in their nature meant to just kind of show off your opulence and wealth. Sometimes they are a, a status They are actually you... truly symbolic. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's true. I mean, the robes that the priests wear are 
symbolic of the same robes that were worn at the time yeah. uh, in the first century. And also they're just functional because, let's face it, castles and churches in the early days of, of European history would be quite drafty. So the longer your clothing was, the more likely it was to keep you warm. Sure. You know? Um, I'd like to close on one other thing because I know we've kind of jumped around a little bit, but I think the one that I find the most fascinating is just, the, and the most recognizable, is the priestly collar. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. The priestly collar is a rel- relatively new innovation when it comes to status symbols because it's only a couple hundred years old um roman catholic priests up until vatican ii wore cassocks you know which was it's the long black tunic that you wear over your over your pants basically and that had the collar built in and that just kind of evolved out of fashion throughout the ages um but you know in the purpose of keeping your you know keeping the collar clean you would wear the white band underneath it but that became synonymous with priesthood and uh what ends up happening is funnily enough the priestly collar is actually a Protestant invention. It was invented by the Presbyterian Church hmm. um, because they wanted to uh, separate themselves from the common man. So as a way to, to be recognized, very much like how the church in Rome had been doing for centuries. So they, they eventually, it started off with just a, a simple white like bow tie over a, you know, uh, over a black shirt, but then eventually just switched into the solid white collar which you're which is almost synonymous with protestant yeah. ministry now uh and uh was always actually intended to be like this little vest it's this little black square that goes over that would go underneath your your robes when you're at church but you wouldn't necessarily wear it like outside. a dicky <laughs> yes it literally it's an ecclesiastical dicky um <laughs> yes and i you know why not potential episode title right there <laughs> possibly. Well, possibly possibly yeah um if not, certainly in contender. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it wasn't until after Vatican II that the church said, "No, actually, this is not a bad idea." So they adopted the look mm. of the of the collar, um, but kind of converted it to more what you see priests wearing now, which is more or less a suit with a uh, black dress shirt that's designed to fit the collar. And now the collars are plastic. You know, that's the funny thing. You can literally just like pop it out. Boop. I yeah. think they're actually being trained to be used as ninja stars, honestly. <laughs> I've Particularly heard that. in the Jesuit order. Just because <laughs> like that, if you're yeah. getting mugged, right. just like peace be with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Non lethal. Non lethal. They just provide you a really terrible, terrible cut. Yes, it like stuns a, them in the jugular. Yeah, it's it really awful. Uh you know, obviously within the clergy, color is a really important thing. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that denotes all sorts of different rankings and Absolutely. different situations that you're going to use it for, different ceremonies, different holidays that you wear the colors on. Right. And a lot of that, believe it or not, that, that comes from the ancient Romans. Yeah. Who saw color as definitely a status symbol. Oh, Absolutely, sure. yeah. Particularly purple. Yes. Purple, yeah. This obsession and idea around royalty and the color purple, uh, I mean... The, the Romans are the ones who really monopolized it, who took advantage of it and, and introduced it into, you know, society in Europe. And it would continue for hundreds of years. And it's still it's yeah. still there today. And it's the reason why anybody above the rank of priest pretty much wears it. The only exception to that are cardinals because they wear scarlet red right. to symbolize the blood that they'd be willing to spill to or to have spilled of, to uh, for the church. Mm-hmm. But here's the big question is why purple? That's a good question. You guys I think know? You'd, you'd be able to know better than I would. Yeah. So purple, uh, obviously, had to be produced in, into into clothing via dye. It had to be introduced right. from the dye. And purple dye is actually extremely difficult to come by, uh, particularly in the ancient Roman world. Uh, they had to uh, import the dye or the, the dyed clothing from Lebanon. 
And in fact, the Phoenicians are the ones who really monopolize this entire market because of a particular dye called Tyrian purple. So Tyre, of course, Tyre in, in, in Lebanon, that's where it gets its name from. And the process to make this particular dye involves taking uh, mollusk shells and crushing it down to a very fine powder. And then from there, uh, introducing, you know, water and other, other additives to, to create the dye. But it takes thousands of these shells just to produce enough dye for a single toga. Wow. We're probably talking like five to 10,000 yeah. of these things. So it's ridiculous. I mean... It was the most expensive dye that you could possibly come by, so obviously that's why it's more of a status symbol. And, and I just want to cost a pretty penny. Yeah. Exactly, and and most of the status symbols that we're going to talk about, just so we can all be on the same page with this, and our listeners can be on the same page too, all have to do with their rarity. Yeah. Right. Oh sure. Because to us today, purple, whatever, right? I can go to the store and buy a purple T-shirt because we have artificial dyes now, and it's really easy to produce pretty much whatever color I want. Therefore, doesn't matter anymore. Color can still be important, and it's usually these days associated with, you know, fine metals like gold and things of that right. nature. But um, more than anything, it's uh, it's easy to come by, so therefore it's just not that popular right. anymore. But in ancient Rome, it was all the thing. In fact, it was so much the thing, it was the law. So only yeah. the emperor was allowed to have purple. Yeah. And that's not uncommon as you go through our history, too. Uh, Queen Elizabeth I ruled that it was uh, illegal for... Anybody outside the royal family to wear gold mm-hmm. yeah. or gold-colored clothing. Yeah. Obviously, it's the most expensive, so I don't think anybody could afford it. But even nobility couldn't well, wear and it. Well, if you look at uh, white wedding dresses, right? Um, that was originally established because it was a sign of opulence. It started with Queen Victoria um, because it was like showing that you had the money to have a completely impractical white dress that you're probably only going to wear once. <laughs> And now everybody does it. <laughs> and the wedding dress is absolutely a status symbol, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, sure you, you is. watch uh, these TV shows on, yes on TLC and, and other yeah. um, oh my gosh. delightful networks uh, that I may or may not be forced and subjected to by my lovely wife. But uh, they have all these. Uh, what, so she watches this one called Say Yes to the Dress. Yeah. And you see these people who go in there and they're fitting and they're trying on these dresses. And some of them cost. Like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, like twenty, thirty thousand yeah. dollars. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and it makes you think: Is it the material that's involved? Yes, there has to be some of that, right, to a degree. The material is honestly most of the time the material is not that much. It's actually more the construction. I was gonna say the craftsmanship is usually yeah. what it comes down it's to. It's the uniqueness of it, yeah, mm-hmm. more than anything. And that's that, true. That with and the suits brand too, yeah. and the name too, right? So who yeah. the designer is, who it is, who's involved with that. But no, right. I'll tell you, uh, for some for some women. There, there is a certain amount of architecture that needs to be put into a dress to make sure everything stays where it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, there's it's actually a pretty intense process for a lot of these dresses. Sure, and in a lot of them have to, a corset built into them too. So there's yeah, a lot of work yeah, that has to go into that. Yeah, built-in bras, that kind of thing. So you know you how can, much Martha's yeah. wedding dress cost? How much? About fifty bucks. Nice, good for her. Yeah, I think she got it like Nordstrom's rack or something like that, whatever it's called. <laughs> Nord- Nordstrom rack. Yeah, Nordstrom yeah. does have a bridal section. They do, do yeah. yeah. And it's funny that that's what it came down to because I always look at the white and it's like, it can't be the symbol of purity because. No, no. <laughs> that's now in the whether you choose to wear your veil in front of your face or not. That's the current. Is that the thing? That's the current, I'm quoting air quote. People, and that's tradition. coming back again. People are putting veils back on now, which is interesting. You know why? Because they probably saw it on television. On one of these freaking shows on TLC, yep. and therefore it has been reintroduced as what? Yeah. A status symbol. Because yep. if you're emulating people who are on, t- are on TV, you you yep. obviously are as important as they are. 
Sure. Right? Yeah. Sure. I think Eric's about to turn into a bridezilla. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> So should we move on and spiel, spin the wheel again since we've already jumped at three different topics? <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I think we've, we could certainly keep t- talking about oh just God. this for the whole episode. Yeah. Let's not. Let's, let's give the wheel some more chances to stretch its legs. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, let me spin this one. Hey. There's something I'm familiar with. So, ancient Egyptian wigs, baby. Oh, okay. Oh, of course yeah. it's Egypt. Of course it's Egypt. Hey, yeah. Brian got Christianity. Yep. So what does Eric always get? And you know what? I haven't been to Egypt in a while, no, ladies and gentlemen. that's true. That's true. It just means I'm sure that the next one that's going to come up for me is a feminist topic. So let's just continue on. <laughs> and that means the next one for Eric will be World War II. Yeah. Or, I, I, or the space program. Yeah. I, I can think outside of those boxes sometimes. Cool. Yeah. Let's anyway. see you do that. All right. All right so go Not ahead, right Eric. <laughs> tell us all about wigs in Egypt. So oftentimes status symbols also connect back to religion, right? So we, we talked a lot about that within Christianity, but that's not a new thing. This has been going on for a really long time. Yeah. In ancient Egypt, the 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 thing that signified purity above all else was the removal of all body hair. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty logical because think about where the Egyptians live. Mm-hmm. It's hot. Yeah. Not only is it hot, but there's also a lot of sand around, right? Sand, if you've ever been to the beach, gets into your hair, mm-hmm. mats your hair, knots your hair, makes it uncomfortable, makes it look pretty dirty, and it's hard to get out, right? Especially yeah. if you don't have access to running water and showers and you can't really take a, a bath every day. Right. Uh, and on top of that, you also have the problem with, you know, insects and lice and things like that. So bugs crawling around on your face or hair or head, not going to jive well, not going to make you look great. True. I mean, I think that is the probably the primary function of wigs, and that that logic persists up until probably the late nineteenth century, if not right. I mean, we we can explore this topic throughout history, right? Sure. But but to the ancient Egyptians, your your wig, you know, was like one of your children. It was carefully crafted, made from human hair, more often than not, right? Sometimes they would put artificial materials in there just to kind of, you know, give it an Fill extra, it yeah, to, 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 to kind of give it the desired shape or appearance. Um, and it was not uncommon to have a mannequin head, some of the first examples of those in history for you to rest your wig on. Uh, some people didn't even take them off. Mm-hmm. Some people, because how delicately they were constructed, would would sleep with their wigs on. But to ensure that the wig didn't get destroyed, they invented this rather unique pillow. Uh, rather than just having a soft down pillow, down pillow like we would have today, it looks kind of like a um, like a crescent moon with a base that it's attached to, and it looks incredibly uncomfortable. But believe it or not, I've actually used one of these before. Um, one of my unique experiences at the, at the Egyptian museum when I worked there, and it was surprisingly comfortable. Hmm. It's extremely restrictive. You can't really move your head. You can't turn over on your side. Sure. But you didn't want to. You wanted to keep your wig in pristine condition. Mm-hmm. So rather than spend more money to invest in a wig that was sturdier that you could put on a mannequin's head, which obviously some people had access to, like the pharaohs and, and their family, most people just reinvented the pillow. <laughs> it was just easier to do that. Wow. They made themselves intentionally uncomfortable just so they could maintain the the shape and appearance of their wigs. Hmm. I mean that that's how extreme some of these status symbols, yeah, you know, really are, and, and what they represent to a society as a whole. Sure. Um, oftentimes, and and keep in mind, wigs were not worn by just women. 
You know, that's that's a, oh, yeah, a very too, modern yeah, concept. Yeah. Wigs have been worn by women and men throughout history. Oh, I mean, men still wear wigs today too. Yeah, they just they don't they just don't call them wigs. They call them toupees. Toupees, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that was exclusive to women that was a status symbol in Egypt, while well, we're you know in the ancient world in the country, uh, was gazelles. Oh. Huh. The gazelle. We've all seen them on Animal Planet. Yes. Hopping along the plains. Yes, beautiful happy, creatures. Happy, carefree, right? Little pointy antlers and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Egyptians domesticated the gazelle, and they bred what could be considered a pygmy gazelle. They were they were <gasps> tiny little gazelles. Oh my god, how cute! And they were the ancient Egyptian equivalent of the lap dog. So you know you have your, your Paris Hilton types, right? Who carry around little doggies and purses and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. That, gazelles. That's a thing these days, right? They had gazelles. Oh my god! Like purse gazelles, like purse gazelles. Only they didn't carry them in purses, but they or were like a teacup pig. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like that. They're not quite that small. Yeah, I mean they're probably about the size of like a medium dog. They're probably actually about the size of I would imagine a pygmy goat. Probably, yeah. yeah. Actually, they're they're probably almost exactly so they like, just, like that. Walk them around on yeah. leashes, basically. Yeah, yeah. and, and they... pygmy goats are actually really cute. If you can ever have a chance to hang out with one, I used to have one. You used to just hang out with one, like crack open a beer. And no, just watch I, well, TV. I we had one for a little bit when I was growing up. Uh, pygmy. Can we get a pygmy goat for the cave? I, I, I dude, mean, I love goats. They're awesome, awesome you, animals. You bring this up, and I have to throw in a, another small tangent too. Uh, Mary Stewart, of course, Mary Queen of Scots. Uh-huh. She yeah. had pet bears. <sighs> super, because super common among the the aristocracy in in like seventeenth so and cool. and eighteen hundred, yeah, seventeenth, eighteenth century. They were procured as cubs, but then when they grew up, they just like tore up shit, and they had to like yeah. But, you know, they, the the problem with that is they used to flush them down the toilet when they got too big. Oh, my God. So now there's bears. Sewer bears. In the sewers of London. <laughs> uh, probably see, that not might likely. Be, that might be crocodiles. I, I could be confusing <laughs> that with New York. probably not true. I was going to say, send them to New York because I know they could use them. <laughs> you actually, actually got to be kind of careful when we talk about um, animal domestication and stuff like that because... Actually, the domestication of animals actually does dumb them down and especially specific breeding and whatnot will kind of wreck a lot of their genetics. So, and just to clarify, I do like my current companion pets. All those things are good, but let's get before we get any listener feedback. Yeah, because I just I can hear it now. I can hear the typing. Dear anatomy. Clearly, they are not crocodiles in the New York series. That is clearly a myth, but there are real bears in London. No, there's that's all. This is not true, of course, but. My point being, the pygmy gazelle was so important to these guys yeah. that upon its death, it was carefully mummified and then interred along with its owner. Wow. Uh, not only that, but also baboons mm-hmm. who were defanged. And I'm, I'm sorry. I know. That's a sore subject for everybody in the room here. But, you know, they took their fangs out because they are pretty freaking dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but they were kept as the male equivalent of the, of the exclusive pet. If oh, you okay. had a baboon, you were all the craze. If you had a gazelle... You were all the craze. And this wasn't just for Got royalty. It. People of the upper class and, yeah. and priesthood could also own these animals. And it's it crazy. was their way of showing off yeah. their wealth. Well, I would just want to end with one other parallel to that, which is, I mean, since you talked about 17th, 18th century, um, it, just the wigs in Paris during the time of Louis Fourteenth and, or sorry, Louis Eighteenth and this 16th, sorry, wow. So many Louis. Uh, this would be Louis. <laughs> Pick the a six- number. <laughs> this would be Louis the Sixteenth because he was the one married to Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Um, and she was definitely not the starter of this, but she was the most common symbol of it. Huge wigs, just wigs, ridiculous in color and size. In which it, case, we're talking about the eighteenth century. Yes. Um, in this case. Uh, with decoration within it and all the birds. Stuff. Yeah. They would have actual yeah. sea birds. Sea ship. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. One of Marie Antoinette's wigs. Had a sea ship built into it. 
This thing, like, I, it, it, it boggles the mind could, how could uncomfortable people, this could like, have been. Could people man it? Okay, was there so a crew? when I was finishing my theater degree, I had to take a costume class and I had to take a makeup class. Which so we talked, we had to do a report, and I was assigned this period in time. During this period of time, innovations, and I'm going to use that in quotes, uh, for hair and makeup were big. I mean, they were also using lead-based makeups for, maybe for keeping their face pale, and it was not that great. But the wigs were huge, and again, it was functional, because you wanted to keep the hair clean and healthy, right? So (laughs) you just pop it off when you're not done with it. Mm-hmm. By pop it off, I mean you probably had two or three people actually lift it off of your head. <laughs> That's true. No, those things were actually, would give people neck pains and whatnot, too. Yeah, and I think they actually had to build in, yeah. like, back support for these things for some, for well, a couple of Well, are there any wig-related deaths I have no recorded idea. in history? Yeah. There's a lot of organ failures from two, from your corsets being too yeah. tight and stuff like that as well. But it's it really is, it a does, long scarf-related death, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does, where it is worth noting that even in America... You know, there's the joke that the founding fathers had some awesome wigs, and it's true. Many of them did wear wigs because, one, it was practical because it, again, helped prevent lice spreading. It's what you did at the time. But <laughs> even, but there, were, there were even middle class wigs that denoted that you were a little more than just a peasant or a farmer. Right. That you had no. I think John Adams wore a wig in his earlier days, before he. Well, he was also a lawyer, so he had to. Exactly. No, I, I thank you for bringing it into a little bit more of the, the modern age, because wigs obviously have a big place in history. Yep. Yep. Uh, Sarah, I believe it's your turn Let's, to turn the wheel. All right, let me go ahead and turn the wheel. What's it going to be? Ah, just as I predicted, a feminist topic. Foot binding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Enlighten us, please. Oh, well. um, So foot binding is something that kind of came to popularity during the Song Dynasty in China. Um, And it's been pretty, pretty well detailed around the 12th century. But it's basically, this is absolutely horrible. It's the process of breaking the bones in your foot and effectively kind of almost folding your foot in half so the ball of your the ball of your feet to the heel of your feet um and having your toes kind of under the idea is to have the tiniest foot possible it's absolutely horrible um <laughs> they would start doing this to young girls between the ages of 4 and 9 um, oh my god and then they would wrap their feet in silk and it would just be a constant process of of breaking the bones oh and then binding and then every couple weeks taking everything off cleaning breaking more and binding more um and the whole reason for doing this was honestly this is how you're gonna get a husband because the, the having such a tiny little dainty perfect foot meant that you didn't have to work the fields. You weren't impoverished or anything like that. You know, you could afford to have servants oh, to do all this stuff. Oh, so and mutilated so, and mangled. That's awesome. That's terrifying. Yeah. I want to marry you. Oh, there's, there was actually, there's, um, there was like foot binding pornography at the time too. <laughs> that just proves my point even further. Wow. Yeah. No, really. Really. Um, and so the whole idea of how this kind of came about, there's a lot of, a lot of stories, a lot of conjecture about what it possibly was. Um, one idea is that there was a a very high level concubine um, that had a club foot, <laughs> so the emperor said, "Let's start making everybody's foot like this." So wow. your club foot is the standard of beauty. 
Um, there's another, you know, one of just saying that there was a, a courtesan who had, you know, just a beautiful dancing style and teeny tiny feet. And so, um, you know, the idea, they call it the lotus foot, having this teeny tiny little three inch foot being the lotus foot. So they, so three, wait, how, how, wait, what? Like trying to get like a tiny little three inch foot. Yeah. Three inch. It's like, that's the, that's the idea is trying to get your foot to be as small that's as possible. That's like having, that's. That's not much wider than your. It's like your, having your like ankle. a hoof. It's yeah. like having a hoof, effectively. So obviously, this was incredibly painful. Oh, absolutely! In fact, they did it most of the time. They started this process in the winter, so when your feet were already kind of numb, so the pain wouldn't be as bad. And I mean, and it was it was actually the the practice was actually banned, um, but there were a lot of women who continued to in smaller villages that were continuing to do this in secret. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, if you're a child, obviously you don't know anything different. Right. And if you're if it's beginning when you're a child, you're going to grow up and think that it's completely normal and very well might pass that on to. Oh, yeah. Another family member or your own children someday. And and again, I, you know, I use the word normal and I'm not trying. I know it's 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 yeah. super repressive and it is obviously designed as a as a clear control mechanism for women, and which is not a good thing. But right. we also have to put it within the context of, you know, 12th century China mm-hmm. uh, and remember from the mindset of these people, we're putting our modern values and passing them down onto them. So it's yeah. worth just noting that even though, yes, I think everyone agrees on the on this side of the mic and in your ear holes right now, listeners, that this is not a good thing and should not be practiced yeah. at all. Is it still going on today? It's not still going on today. Um, in fact, the last few women who um, have had their, their feet bound are uh, dying off. They're um, in their late 80s now. But it still it, happened within to, the past 100 years then. Yes. Well, and you have to understand, too, because then when when things change to communism in China, these these are women who are from middle class upper middle class families where there was still a very strong sense of imperialism yeah Mm, they had to get rid of all of their possessions all their possessions were seized and they were all of a sudden were forced to work and they had to work on these bound feet Ugh. you know so i'm not i'm so like let's have some sympathy for the people who had to do tons of sympathy for them yeah like this is it's really really terrible and um you know it's just they can't they can't dance they can't really move around easily um and a lot of them kind of have you know had a lot of regret yeah. for it but if they didn't they wouldn't ma- they wouldn't get married well, i think mean, anybody could agree that regardless of time period mutilating human beings to make them more viable as property yeah is um, not is, a bad is, is like a doubly yeah. heinous so thing to, to i'm gonna doing. go ahead and throw this out out to you and i'll kind of end the topic on this but if you go look at some of the pictures um, you Google image search foot binding, and if you actually look at the bone musculature of what happens to your foot when you do foot binding, it's almost like just a flatter version of what happens to your foot whenever you wear a pair of high heels. Ooh. So I'm just gonna go ahead and. So it's th- still really happening voluntarily today. Yeah, in, in a certain in a certain sense. To a degree. Yeah. Everybody knows the high heels are bad for you. Yeah. But <laughs> you wear them anyway. It. You wear them anyway. You wear them anyway. I well, I don't wear them every day. That's for sure. I it's like a once in a while thing for me. But. So I mean, it, it also reminds me a lot about um, like skull paddling. Sure. You know, you, you see a lot of that in the Americas, mm-hmm. uh, and it was obviously to create this unique and elongated shape of the occipital bun i'm glad you brought it up because if you didn't i was going to yeah (laughs) yeah i think i'm saying that wrong but um the the back of your skull essentially right uh occipital bun something to that degree occipital occipital bun occipital buns yeah so uh and that that's a practice you know that was obviously more connected to 
royalty and also to, to right. religion and that part and of the Indiana Americans. Jones, if you acknowledge the third movie. No, no, no. Fourth movie, by the fourth way. Movie. Third movie sorry. was amazing. Fourth movie was... Yeah. No. That's what I meant to say. That. Sorry, thank you. I get, numbers are not my friend tonight. I meant to say the fourth one. Yeah. A thousand apologies. Last Crusade's awesome. Thank you. Just thank wanted you. to put okay, that out there. We're going to be okay then, Brian. We're going to make it through this. Everybody calm down. Yeah. <sighs> it's funny. My, my, just as a quick tangent, my buddy Brian was saying, hey, so you hear they're making a fourth Indiana Jones movie. And he's like, what do you mean? They already made one. He said, nope. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> uh, that's funny. I like that. So you heard the, I heard the making of fourth Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> he repeated it just so I could get the message. Yeah, it, it's also worth noting, of course, the body modification in general has been a status symbol thing for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And, and the modern equivalent of that Mary today: facial tattoos, yep. stretched lips, elongated necks, Botox, all of breast implants, oh, yeah. booty implants, mm-hmm. even modifying the appearance of one's genitals oh, yeah. to match some sort of ideal yeah. uh, concept of that because of things like pornography and what have you. My, my, my point being that none of this is new. Yeah. And a lot of it these days is totally voluntary, whereas what you're talking about well, is totally subjugating yeah. people and, and forcing sure. it upon them at a very early age. Yeah. Well, and and that's the other thing, too, because there's other body modification that isn't really necessarily done for status, but it's done for some sort of religious ideal or whatever and, and that's a whole other thing those, and yeah. while it might relate to your status that actually it's, more has to do with a religious practice yeah, we're than not anything. talking about that we're not context. we're not talking about that and we're not we're not necessarily putting down body modification either if you want to go get breast implants go get breast implants Deal that's thing. fine but i'm just saying yeah um that you know do it do it for your your own reasons don't do it because society demands that you should have big boobs or whatever yeah yeah okay great cool i'm glad we I'm glad we clarified that okay. me too I can uh, just hear the listener feedback coming. <laughs> flooding, flooding. <laughs> Brian, it's your turn. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's Brian's turn. Okay. <sighs> uh, well, this one's very near and dear to my heart. Apple. Apple <gasps> products. Apple products. Apple products. Folks who are... Not strangers to this podcast know that Eric and I are completely nuts over Apple products. We're Apple fanboys. We, we are. I mean, we are recording on a Mac right now. Hey, so. you know what? Even Sarah Ashley, the amazing, famous Sarah Ashley, is using a Mac. Yeah, it's my work computer. I, I don't ha- care. You're still using it. Yeah, at home I have a Lenovo, all right? <laughs> oh, I know. I've seen but it. But you also have an iPhone. I do, because I do like Apple's mobile products, but I yes. hate their laptops and desktops. And that's a discussion for a different place. However, <laughs> because, no, no, and I mean that quite seriously, because yeah. Yeah, forgetting true. the whole PC Mac argument, yeah. what turned Apple into the status symbol that it was, was the iPod. Right? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, in that was 2001, the first designer product we released. And the iPod is a mobile product. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, no, you're talking about 2001 at this point. Steve Jobs makes, of course, the announcement of the, about the iPod. Huge deal of course it was super exclusive at first because you had to have a mac it only worked with firewire cable so again proprietary upon proprietary 1000 songs 1000 songs which was a huge thing at the time yeah exactly it was a little over five gigs my dad had the original ipod i've got one too yeah it's they were beautifully designed um i believe johnny i've actually designed it too Mm -hmm. yep uh who of course is vice president for industrial design for apple to this day um it, it was a big deal and I mean, of course, there was already cynics about at the time because Apple certainly did not invent the MP3 players. Sony had MP3 players available in Japan as early as the late 90s um, or the mid 90s. I might even 
uh, say. But it became such a thing that from that point forward, almost everyone's vernacular MP3 player was described as an iPod. Well, 2004 yeah. was a really big turning point because 2004, or was it 2005? It, 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 was, was, a, it was a year. Yeah. yeah. But it was, <laughs> it was it's, but it's the branding concept, the same yeah. reason why all tissues are Kleenex and all chapstick is Correct. chapstick. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Tabasco sauces. And, right. and Band-Aids. Right. I mean, the turning point really came when the iPod was available for both for any user. It wasn't just, you didn't have to just be strictly on the Apple bandwagon. Yeah. Right. It gives on a PC now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I believe, I want to say that was 2005. I could, I could be wrong. It might even be 2006, but. And it could be 2007. I mean, realistically, 2008 is not far off. It doesn't matter. Well, 2007 it is doesn't also matter. <laughs> yeah. 2007 is also important because that was the year the iPhone was released. The original yeah, yes. iPhone, right? And let, let's focus on that for a minute. Yeah. Because the iPhone these days is a huge thing. When the iPhone first came out, there were lines. It was a big thing. It was it was crazy. There was a screen, and it was fully touchscreen. But then it fizzled out pretty quickly. That's the funny thing. It yeah. wasn't until the next generation. Yeah, Sarah? Well, I just want to point out that mobile phones in general have oh, always sure. been a status symbol. Like, if you look at the when people had car phones or the first giant, bulky Absolutely. satellite phones, you know, these, these things have all, like, the latest and greatest technology is always going to be a status symbol. One of my favorite scenes in, in Lethal Weapon 2 is that part, or, or 3, I can't remember which one it is, but he's pulling over off the side of the road to, pull, to make a phone call to like mm-hmm. Murdoch, and he pulls out this gigantic yeah. cell phone that's like bigger than his head. It's a brick. It, yeah. li- it literally is yeah. a brick yeah. or like with an, an antenna on it. I, I always think of 16 Candles uh, when sure. they're driving around the luxury car with the mm-hmm. car phone in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, my dad had a car phone that was, it was not sexy looking at all uh and it was from the early 90s and it was built in and it was not a mobile phone it was strictly a car phone this was this was awesome when my brother got his first car it was a 1989 ford escort and he had found a broken payphone ripped the receiver off of it and put it in his car and called it the ghetto car phone so like whenever he pulled up to a stoplight he just lifted up and started talking and like like hey what's up to the people next door hilarious and this and was like in 2000 but you know what's funny now is they actually make headsets that look like old telephone yeah, receivers that plug into your iphone now. right but your iphone you know just exploded and became so huge and particularly in the asian market and we we've yeah. seen this year after year after year when they release a new iphone it's all over the news it's plastered all over these people who literally have phones plastered onto them yeah they are smuggling phones into other countries in order to sell them at ridiculously overpriced, overmarked uh, costs, yeah. right? So some people are paying, you know, for that first, to own it for that first week even. Yeah. Just that first week, they're paying like $10,000. Well, let's not forget that like Shanghai has over 2,000 cell phone stores mm-hmm. in it. Many of them are secondhand stores, oftentimes from the black market. Oftentimes they're Apple products as well. And I mean, I think that was the first thing, that was the, really the thing about it. It wasn't just a mobile phone. Right, it looked futuristic. It looked pretty. It looked very high quality. It functioned with yeah. a very high quality too. It looked like something out of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But let's you also know? talk about why it's a thing in China too, because it's important to have the why. You know, uh, China because they make it for all the Americans. Well, that's part of it. But the other thing is that China is the largest growing economy in the world right yeah. now, and it hasn't always been that way. And just even in the past 15, 20 years, you've seen this whole new development of a middle class in China that just didn't exist to the volume that it does right now. And to distinguish yourself, to try to make yourself not middle class any longer and, and somewhere higher than that, you want to have something that only the rich people generally have. So you will mm-hmm. spend 
way more money than you have available to you just to get your hands on one of these phones because that's the perception and the perception is what yeah. they want. Not only that, but in, in some parts of China, the, the culture you know, really is still very much believing that if you own something of great wealth, if you have things of great wealth, that great wealth will come to you. Sure. Uh, so it's still very Fake much... until you make it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, no, but that's like, that's an aspect of... Sure. ...of culture uh, in some parts of, of Southeast Asia. So mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a big thing. Um, but it's, it's amazing to see the craze and to see yeah. what goes into it all. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people just will flaunt their Apple products, put their little apple sticker on their cars or mm-hmm. all that stuff too just to kind of show off and honestly as much as i do appreciate because i i love you gotta google love apple. i love google love android apple. all that stuff like i that's actually honestly more where my mindset always goes but people don't line up for the new samsung galaxy the way they do for the new iphone so yeah you know it's definitely and a thing android even though it's on every single third-party phone that's out there practically except for windows phones and certain nokia's yeah. nokia pretty much has no. an exclusivity yeah. deal with Microsoft. i judge people who have windows phones <laughs> but but now i mean it's it's market share keeps shrinking and shrinking sure. and shrinking those apple yeah. devices keep growing and growing yeah um just for clarification because i know someone's going to give us feedback about it at some point uh we'll, we'll land it on 2006 as the year that the <laughs> ipod because that was when it even though if that wasn't the year that it became available for pcs users it was the year that it truly hit its stride and just and apple stores all over the world yeah. and targets i mean that was the year where you can get an ipod pretty much at any major electronics retailer you know mm-hmm. well i'm i'm glad we landed that cool yeah eric why don't we go ahead and spin the wheel another time you know what i feel like maybe you and i should both give this one a spin and just oh, see what happens okay. i'm just curious all right one two three God. Wait, guys, uh, did, did either of you accidentally kick the lightning switch? Oh, oh dear. Sarah, look uh, where your leg is. Oh, darn. Okay. Okay, so now the wheel's in lightning mode. Lightning mode! <laughs> we got a lightning round? Yeah, we do. Oh, All right, God. let's go really fast, guys. What do you got, Eric? Uh, I got hermits. Hermits, okay. Oh, my God, this is so interesting. It okay. is very interesting. So 18th century aristocrats. Uh-huh. Uh, for whatever reason, thought their gardens just didn't look right unless they had a disheveled-looking old man uh, <laughs> <laughs> living in them. I mean, you're not too far off. It's effectively like they wanted to build their own personal hobbit hole on their on their property, and they would pay somebody to go live there, and it was almost like a charming thing during parties. I mean, room board and stipend. Yeah, absolutely. And all you had to do was just live in the garden. Yeah. And this is sign me up. <laughs> and it's also most likely that this is where the origin of garden gnomes come from is like having your own little hermit. And that's crazy because I, I mean, I've, I've heard some people that argue against that, yeah. but a lot of people do believe it. That it's yeah. very likely that yeah. the, our garden gnomes because of this bizarre mm-hmm. status symbol. Now, I don't think the garden gnome qualifies as a status symbol, Probably more not. of a more of a uh, fad. Sure. If yeah. you will. Um, I well, have one. I don't know about you guys, but Travelocity just got a lot creepier to me. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, and also people at the same time uh, would also purposely build ruins on their properties. Not just little hermit holes, but also having like a pretend ruined castle. Which, quite frankly, piss off modern archaeologists, like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. Because we don't uh, know which ones are real. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, people would also intentionally buy properties that had... Yeah. You know, some form of ancient ruin on there as well. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, like, 
in all fairness, I would totally do just yeah, because be I would want to cool. go and excavate my own ruins. And then Eric would turn it into a museum. Yay! <laughs> and then I'd have a hobbit who, or not a hobbit, I'd have a hermit who would curate it. There we just go. Just because yeah. I want to bring it all together, folks. I like it. I like it. Yes, yeah, so Next what do you got? Next one. Yeah. Key, uh, keys. Keys were actually a status symbol um, during the Roman Empire. Kind of weird, right? Well, keys were originally invented in ancient Greece, but they were like these giant crooked rods, effectively. Um, By the time that the technology went over to the Roman Empire, uh, they actually kind of refined the key, actually made it operate a lot better, a lot more efficiently, made it smaller, and kind of started to decorate it. Like, they looked like the door that it belonged to. So that's kind of fun. The cool part is, though, is the reason why the keys were a status symbol is because it meant that you had property worth enough to lock up. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. So it meant that you were rich enough to have stuff that you could lock it away. Uh, all right, x-rays. Okay. Up next on the wheel here. So, you know, when I think of, you know, having a good time, obviously I, I think of exposing myself to dangerous radiation and sure. then producing an image with it to show off to friends and family, uh, which is exactly what people did when x-rays first came out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming x-rays were probably pretty pricey to get. They were extremely uh, difficult to to come by just mm. because you had to uh, obviously pay, pay pretty penny, but also find somebody with an x-ray machine and someone who was qualified to use it. But unfortunately, they did not have quite yet the concept that it was causing uh, potentially harmful radiation. They would eventually figure that out. But before that, I can only imagine how many people were exposing themselves yeah. uh, for the, the purpose of, yeah. of... And to all their vital organs, yeah. to radiation nonetheless, too. Yeah, and to yeah. unborn children as well, because that was kind of the thing. Like, ooh, yeah. let's have a look at our baby. And, oh, yeah, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, ooh, kids. Speaking, Speaking of, of kids, right? Um, this one's actually pretty interesting because the idea of, you know, being able to, uh, you know, have many wives and many children, that's been around for a very, very long sure time. Has. Um, that you're wealthy enough to, you know, feed all those mouths, etc. But that was usually like something saved for like Duggar level of procreation. Uh, oh, we just went, <laughs> do we really go Duggar? I don't, I don't even want them on the show, to be totally honest. All right. Point being. Now, there's actually a thing currently happening. It's a very, very interesting idea of a status symbol and specific right now to the Upper East Side of New York City, where the idea of having many children is actually kind of a little bit of a status symbol right up there with the Birkin bag. So, yeah, I mean, New York is still one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world. It is. And most of the kids that are living there are going to private schools, um, summer camps. They have live-in nannies or full-time nannies and that kind of thing. And so the cost to raise a child is actually more than doubled if you're talking about New York City compared to the national average. Well, thank God I live here. (laughs) Right? Exactly. So um, if you are a woman in New York, it's almost like a high-powered career to have three, four, five children. So the more children you have, actually, it's more of a more of your sense yeah. of And it's of not wealth. just that, but like you said, the ability that you can sustain their yes. wealthy lifestyle. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole With point. With those yeah. children. You right. can give them their designer clothes that they're going to grow out of in a month. Their iPhones and iPads at yep. age two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Alrighty, up next, tulips. Tulips. Interesting choice here. So, the Netherlands, in the 1600s, all of a sudden was on this tulip craze as they were uh, being imported from the Middle East. And as such... It uh, very nearly bankrupts uh, bankrupt the country. Wow. Uh, tulips are a huge investment for anyone who's got a green thumb and knows, you know, are familiar with them, right? So it actually takes several years from them to go from a bulb state into a flowering state. Right. And the Netherlands, you know, which 
has a pretty chaotic climate at times, uh, isn't necessarily the best place to grow them, but they, they figured out a system and it certainly works now. Uh, but even still, if you had uh, one particularly cold winter, you could totally kill off this extraordinary, extraordinarily expensive investment. Uh, and as such, that was either going to be really good for you, or if you had a couple of really good years in a row, you could make a lot of money selling those those tulips. And, and now they're all over the place. I mean, oh, yeah. tulips are constantly throughout the Netherlands, and they're, they're synonymous with the mm-hmm. Netherlands these days. Well, and they're everywhere in the States here, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah but they sure. were a big risk to import, bring in, and to become that big status symbol. Sure, sure, absolutely. Okay, and last one, guys. Pineapples. Interesting, right? So having a pineapple was also kind of a a really sense of, well, it was a status symbol uh, in the 17th and 18th centuries. It was a sense that you could actually afford to have this very expensive fruit shipped to you from far off distant exotic lands. Um, It basically trying to get a pineapple was the equivalent of making a 5,000 pound investment. In today's pounds, so in today's that's, in today's okay. pounds, yeah. So would they eat it? Or would they just look at it? No, Absolutely not. They it. would put it on a mantle, yeah, and they would leave it there to the honestly for months to the point where it's that's like rotting away. Such good sources of fiber. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, saying for a berry, it's loaded with fiber. Well, sure, but, sure. But if you've spent 5,000 pounds on a freaking pineapple... You don't want to just eat you it. You don't want to eat it. You're I mean, going to last slowly. Yeah. But I wouldn't... <laughs> I mean, it was it was so valuable to the point that people could rent one for the evening for parties. Rent here's, a pineapple. Here's the wow. thing. The pineapple is pretty freaky looking. Oh, yeah. I mean, even it's to weird. this day, I look at a pineapple and I think, you know what? That is unique. It is. Even though I've been exposed to pineapples my entire life. Sure. I, th- I still think they're pretty cool. I wouldn't pay 5,000 pounds or no. however that much that is in adjusted U.S. dollars. No. But, uh, if you, but if you look at it, you know, in look at 17th century England, what kind of fruit are they growing there? It's sure as hell doesn't look like a pineapple. <laughs> it doesn't look like a pineapple, so. We've got apples in muck. <laughs> this is like... I mean, yeah, I mean, let's just face it. The pineapple is like the badass of the fruit world. It is. It really, because, it really is, yeah. I mean, I come hate, on. If I I'm hate, an animal, I'm not going to want to eat that. I it, hate grabbing those things. I really do. It's the Beyonce uh, <laughs> of fruit. Really? Beyonce? I was thinking more like Hellraiser, personally. <laughs> Um, well, okay, no, Pinhead? not to say that... not I mean, to it's say not that full-blown prickly pear, but it's... Not uh, to say that Beyonce looks like a close. pineapple. She most certainly does not. No, it is to imply that, you know, Beyonce, to have Beyonce anywhere. Oh, yeah. That costs a lot of money. That's the thing, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm saying, obviously. I like right. it. That's that's a great equivalent. Thank you, Sarah. When I you put it that you. way. And you know what? I feel like Beyonce would also appreciate it. Yeah. I hope she listens to this episode. Because, yes. of course, she is one of our number one fans. Be Beyonce. Eric. I As am Eric. Beyonce. <laughs> uh, well, Wheel, hey, it's been great. Thank you so much. It was fun. Especially that lightning round, just kind of yeah. like throwing it out there. And, and listeners, I'm sure you have got some suggestions of your own. And I mean, status symbols, uh, they exist in all different forms all around the world. We know we have listeners from all around the world. So sure. please Absolutely. share with us your favorite status symbol. Yeah. Uh, and tell us, Brian, uh, how might they, they share that status symbol with us? Well, there are a couple ways they can do that. First, they can go to Deuteronomy.com and click on the Talk to Us link. And uh, the other way they can do that is, of course, hit us up on our social media accounts. Ooh. Just Google Nerdonomy. I guarantee you'll find us that are multitude of places facebook twitter instagram even 
Um, you know what, Sarah? What else can they do when they go to nerdonomy.com? They can also go to our merch page where they can buy a t-shirt if they want to. Or if they just want to flat out give us money, they can donate. That would be really cool. Yes, they can. We will put it towards the pineapple fund. The pineapple fund, yes. Yes, we want to rent one for the day. <laughs> <laughs> just because. Never mind the fact that they're bountiful and actually relatively inexpensive compared to Yes. The, can we do that? Can we just go? Can we record this too and just go to like a grocery store and say, "I don't want to buy this pineapple. I, just want I understand to rent it. it only costs about two dollars a pound. I simply want to rent it. <laughs> I just want to see the look on the grocer's face. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I'll bring it back in approximately two hours. I'm thinking five dollars is more than generous. How messed up would it be if you found out there's like this underground? pineapple renting ring and like all of a sudden you see the wrong thing with the wrong person and then the next thing you know you're in a dark room black market pineapples black market yes. pineapples yep just saying i'm telling you you know um hey we should get in the tardis and and we can go back and make some money um fred and ginger if you could please wheel the wheel out of the cave thank bye, you very fred. much bye ginger i love our little alpacas these are great <laughs> they're they're pretty. They're I wonder what else we could train them to do. We we, we might we must have some other. Use I mean, we alpacas have for the show. are very very smart. They are. They most certainly are. Yep. Yeah. Be um, careful, they spit. Folks, we will continue our listener feedback uh, next episode. Um, speaking of which, nerds, it is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Adios. Goodbye. Brian, look out for your iPad. Ginger, Ginger, no, 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 Ginger, 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 your mouth. Eat the iPad. Eat the iPad. No, stay quiet. Stop it. Ginger, Ginger. Oh, it's gone. Well, I guess it's a good thing I bought Apple Care Plus.